Welcome on Cal Quantrill, starting pitcher for the Cleveland Guardians, and some may call you the white whale of just baseball, as I have been personally following your career since you were at Stanford and basically tailed all your starts in the money line since you joined Cleveland. And now we finally have a chance to sit down and talk about your career. Cal, how you doing, man? Welcome to the Just Baseball Show. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. It's uh, Like you said, it's a long time coming. Uh, it's this, this, uh, this meeting has been recommended by many. And I'm excited to uh, shoot the shit about baseball. It'll be good. Definitely. And first, I want to tell you about what has been my fascination kind of with your career. So back in 2014, it was kind of like my first chance kind of watching college baseball closely. Like I always turned on a game, you know, every now and again, but really started following your career at Stanford because I'm personally from Santa Barbara, California. And Stanford was one of my favorite teams to watch. I know Tommy Edmond was on that team. And um, so I just started following your career because I thought you were a really good pitcher. And then when you were on the Padres, then you got traded to Cleveland. I started just dabbling in some of, your, some of your starts because I always felt that the books undervalued you. So it became it became a trend, right? It just became a consistent thing. I would either be on an under, I would be on first five, or I'd be on the Cleveland Guardians money line. And throughout the time, you were the most profitable person I have ever <laughs> bet on anything in my entire life. And then, especially this season, because it really started last season too, but this season, I every fifth day, it would be it's Cal Day. And every single time, you would deliver. So I personally have to thank you from the bottom of my heart. You're the reason the lights are on, Cal. You're the reason <laughs> the lights are on. No, that's good. I'm happy, man. You know what? I don't hear a lot of people uh, betting on or you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't really know much about gambling on baseball, but I was forwarded your tweets so many times that at this point I'm I'm confident that uh, we have we have a good working relationship here. So <laughs> probably the best working relationship in in history of of making money. Um, That's right. I won't I, take that personally over here. That's fine. <laughs> it's your co-host just sitting right here, partner. Yeah, it's fine. I it, I get it. I get it. I mean. Peter just had a really nice stake the other night, and that was mostly funded, I think, by Guardians Moneyline every time you're at home. But I also wanted to chime in real quick and just also we want to congratulate you on, on an unbelievable year. I mean, to, to see where where things have gone and we'll get into it and the details of it. But to be pitching, I know that's one of the questions we'll get to You know, in the postseason on the big stage and one of the biggest stages in baseball. Uh, what a year, man. And I'm excited to get into that, but just wanted to chime in and, and congratulate you on that as well. No, I appreciate it. It was a fun year, man. That was a special team we were part of. The cool part is, is everyone's coming back. So yeah. And when we talked to Sandlin too, he was um, a big proponent of how young you guys are, that this, it's kind of the, it's not like this was the window. 
that's kind of the window opening. Um, and mm-hmm. we're going to talk about, you know, the Guardians. We're going to talk about this year, but I kind of want to start at the very beginning. You're from Port Hope, Ontario in Canada, and you had the opportunity to win like a silver medal for the 18U Team Canada team in Korea. And you played in two world championships. But what I found from researching is that you were also a really, really good hockey player. I'm just curious, like, when did you start to take the moment where baseball was going to be your calling instead of hockey because you were a beast of both. It was, um, so I'll stand by this. I still prefer hockey to baseball. I just wasn't as good at it. (laughs) Um, I played, I played all the way through high school. I was real good when I was, you know, like that 13, 14 age, there comes a stage, uh, hockey, especially in Canada where it's almost earlier than baseball. Like guys are, it's not necessarily signing professionally, but they're heading there, you know, they're leaving home, they're boarding in places. They're playing in like really, really high level hockey at 15, 16 years old. So that like that line, that 15 year old line, I'm not going to lie to you. It just became clear that <laughs> there were other guys that were better than me. Uh, baseball was probably my calling. I was getting taller and skinnier and these guys were getting more jacked and faster. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this is feeling like, like there's a direction I'm supposed to go. So it was, I still love it. I still watch it all the time. The Leafs are my team. Um, you know, it's pretty cool. I was telling, uh, telling someone the other day, I, it's like everyone wants to like collect baseball autographs and stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm off that. I'm, I'm all for the hockey autographs. Anytime I have a chance, if I'm in a city and the team's playing, like I get to meet Cole Sillinger this year, got a McKinnon autograph, got a Mitch Marner autograph. Like that's, that's my thing right there. I'm, I'm all in on that. But unfortunately there was no, uh, hockey wasn't in the cards for me professionally, but that's all right. So kind of speaking to that, because as we know, in, in Canada, hockey is is king in, in a lot of ways. And, and that's the sport that seems to dominate, you know, that region. But there's a lot of really talented baseball players that have come out there. And it seems like the pipeline is is just continuing. Well, we saw several guys drafted recently. Uh, and I know you could speak to a lot of guys that you probably played with in that area. What can you speak to on just baseball in Canada and do you see it growing in that regard? Do you see more players like yourself maybe opting to go the baseball route and, and seeing success with that and kind of leading the way for other Canadians who may, you know, start to dabble in the sport and be multi-sport athletes, because that is becoming increasingly popular and recommended as well. Anyways, just to play multiple sports. Yeah. Well, I guess I would just, the first thing I would hit on is uh, 100%. I think multi-sport athlete, I think it's the way to grow. I think that there's way too much specialization going on in 10 and 11 year olds. You don't even know if you like the sport at 10, yeah. like it's crazy. You can't be playing a sport all year long. There's, there's so much more to it, right? Becoming a good teammate, learning to be uh, you know, a, pr- a good presence in the locker room, like learning how to get along with different people. If you just are playing one sport and training in one sport all year long. I mean, I'm just not even sure that you're, you, you know, that you're sure you love that, but to the, to the baseball Canada thing, I like to point out sometimes that, you know, it's not, a, it's not really like a surprise or a new thing that, that there's, there's good baseball players coming out of Canada. I like to think that I'm the second or third wave of players. You know, if you go back, like Larry Walker, um, yeah. Jason Bay, like Fergie Jenkins, if you go away, like there's real players that like kind of established um, our presence in the sport and kind of allowed us to grow. Like players, like I was just talking about Joey Votto, Justin Morneau, kind of really did well, gave back to Baseball Canada, both time and money. And that junior national team grew because of it. And then there was opportunity for the best young players in Canada, 15, 16, 17 years old, to play on this 18U team and then go overseas. I was 15 playing in Colombia against just, you know, the best that that there were at the time. 
uh, I think I was playing the, uh, I was pitching, I was like 86, 87 mile an hour with a bad changeup going up against Joey Gallo and Addison Russell. And, and it was like, Oh my God, like this is, this is crazy. But, but that kind of exposure is allowing more and more uh, Canadian baseball players to kind of take it to the next level. And you're seeing, you know, Mike Soroka, the Naylor brothers, there's a third Naylor brother that's coming that everyone thinks may be the best of all three, which is crazy given how good the first two are, you know, Matt Brash in uh, Seattle and, there, there, there's some really, really talented players. And I think we owe it a lot to that group that came before us. And in return, what we're trying to do is, is, is kind of something similar, grow it even bigger. Um, you know, we don't want to be an afterthought when it comes to the WBC, or we don't want it to be a surprise that we win a silver medal in, in, in Korea. We want it to be, you know, kind of a standard. And I think we can do that. Um, obviously there's fewer players than there is in the States or the Dominican or some of these big baseball countries, but, you know, I think the talent's really good, and and if we can collect them all and put them on a team, and you can do some special stuff. So every fifth day, I would post a picture of your face on Twitter, letting people know that it was Cal Day. But another guy on the Guardians who has saved me a number of times, and you just mentioned him, another Canadian-born player from Ontario is Josh Naylor, who, again, is coming off that incredible year for the Guardians. But you've played with this guy now. It feels like your whole life. You were included in the same trade from the Padres. I assume that you guys might have played high school baseball in Ontario. Is he as wild and as passionate and as crazy off the field as he is on the field? So I've played with Naylor since I was 16 or 17 and he was 15. Same team. Whole way up. He was only with the Marlins for a year before we joined forces again in San Diego. We're here. I have played with that kid so long. Um, I'll tell you a funny story. So I was on the national team because I'm a couple years older than Josh. And we were doing this like prep game somewhere in Toronto. It was almost like a scout game. It was like the current players on Team Canada versus the best young players attempting to, to make Team Canada or to get the invite to the next trip we were going on. I think we were going to the Dominican. And I always tell Naylor this, even though it's completely untrue. I'm like punching tickets. I'm nasty. I'm throwing so hard compared to most of the guys at this, at this scout showcase thing. And then this Josh Naylor gets up there and he's like two years younger than me. I don't know anything about him. I mean, he doesn't look like particularly intimidating at the time. And he hits a line drive 250 miles an hour, almost takes off my forehead. <laughs> and this is after like, I've like punched all these tickets and like immediately the second this thing, this, this uh, scout game is over, the baseball candidate coach is walking up. Yeah. We're going to have to have you come along with us to the next trip. So I've always told him that I started his career. Like I, I, I got, I, you know, I, I threw the cookie there. I got you on the team. Meanwhile, he's just unbelievable. He's back to ball. Um, I think it flies under the radar. Josh is one of the most athletic guys uh, on our team. He like in high school, he was like 90, 92 from the left side off the bump. Like he, he really is a pretty special talent. I think he just does it uh, kind of unique. Like he doesn't look like every, it doesn't look like um, like a Byron Buxton or a Trey Turner. So people are kind of like, he flies under the radar. Like he's stolen bases. Like, you know, before he broke his leg and even after he's pretty fast. Um, yes, he is that passionate. Like baseball is everything. His team is everything. Um, I always like to say like it or don't like it. Some of the things he do on the field, it is genuine. It's authentic. He's not making it up for likes, for for views, nothing. He is just fully invested in in the game that he's playing. And I think as a teammate, you can appreciate that. 
Well, you talk about appreciating, you know, the, the passion of your teammates. And again, we had Nick Sandlin on and just, it seems, he seemed to echo a lot of the same ideas of, it just seems like it's a very close group here. And and as we've talked about, you know, just before we hit record, it's a group that's going to be together for a long time. And, and you guys have a young, young core that is really exciting. Can you speak a little bit to just the, the clubhouse side of things? Because I think we've seen and, and talking to every big leaguer that we have so far, the commonality is, of course, you have all your metrics, you have all of the statistics that do really help paint a picture of what is a good team and what is a bad team. But when it comes to winning in, in the toughest of spots, it seems like it's the things that don't really show up statistically. And it seems like you guys really excelled in that department. And it seems like it's a really good group. Can you can you speak to that at all? Yeah. So, you know, I'm not a GM. I, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not willing to like put a, a, a number on what analytics percentage that's analytics is important versus, you know, team camaraderie personality. But I'll say this, like in the last 10 years, there's been this massive wave of, you know, advanced statistics, analytics, thinking about baseball, trying to predict the future, you know, to a better degree. Well, the thing is, is, you know, 10 years ago, there probably was like room to make big gains on other teams. If you were better at that. Well, now it's not really, uh, everyone knows about this. All 30 teams are very aware that, you know, these are important metrics that we need to study and and become better at at guessing the future. So that like competitive advantage that you may have had 10 years ago, five years ago is thinning. You know, it's not like the Astros are just infinitely better at, um, you know, at at drafting or at, at, um, you know, at at guessing or signing a free agent that they believe is going to outperform their previous metrics. So now it's like, okay, well, what's the next competitive advantage? And I would argue that, that maybe it is more on the, like the subjective side or the personality, the team camaraderie. It's a long time to spend in a locker room together. You know, you're talking 200 to 240 days straight. If it doesn't work, you have to believe that that's going to have a negative effect on people's performance, their output. So if you're looking at it like extremely just mechanically, it's like, I want to make sure that everything's running smoothly so that I'm getting hundred percent output. If I'm not getting hundred percent output, all that work I did on the advanced analytics doesn't matter. Like, yeah. cause I'm projecting that hundred percent output. I'm projecting that, that, you know, Cal's going to do this, this, and this, but you know, if it's a horrible locker room, I don't want to be there. Training becomes hard. The coaches are rough. Maybe you're only getting 85% of what you thought you were going to get. And now that, that, you know, that's that smart sign, that, that thing that you did, that money you saved doesn't mean anything. So I do think teams are putting uh, more effort into, into the human being side of things. And I think Cleveland's done a great job. Um, some of it's because we're all, you know, 20 to 26 years old. There's like a lot of shared experiences, um, whether we played each other in college, came up through the system together, like pretty easy to get along, similar points in, 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 in all of our lives. Um, some of it, I t- think, too, is just uh, like a collection of good people. I can I can speak to like my teammates off the field are people I would still like to spend time with. I think if you're really honest, there's not a lot of teams that would say that about every player on that team. And it starts for us with like, with, with, with both sides of the ball, like, you know, Jose Ramirez kind of leading the charge, you know, um, offensively, defensively, you know, Shane's been around for a long time and Tristan came up to the same Savali, please like all these guys have grown together um, and kind of had, you know, some of the, and I can't speak to very many of them. I wasn't, didn't come up in the organization, but you know, you have to imagine some of the, uh, the weeds were, were kind of picked as these guys came up and, you know, it makes a huge difference. Like I can, I can't put a win total on it, but there's something there. 
Yeah, there has to be something there. And just to keep on that same track of the numbers, I mean, you're a Stanford guy. Um, you're obviously incredibly intelligent. Um, obviously, I mean, maybe not obviously, but I don't think that you're looking at your FIP or your XCRA and putting a ton of stock into that. But there are obvious numbers that, you know, the guardians use and that you probably pay more attention to. Maybe it's in your pitch mix. Maybe it's, you know, different types of velocity with different pitches. Like I assume you're not looking at the XFIP, but I assume you're looking at some specific numbers and studying those in order to get better. Can you give our audience some insight into some of those numbers that maybe after a start you're looking at first to see how you can improve? Yeah. So I never want to take away like from the value of these, these advanced stats. I do think they're, they're good tools um, to, to attempt to guess future output to a certain extent. Um, XFIP and, and war and, and all these, these numbers, they, they will tell a story eventually. But one thing that, that you can never forget about is like, is what's actually happening on the field. Like, what are you watching? Like, there's a difference between like, if you can't see the difference between a guy with, they both have the same FIP. Um, but for some reason at the end of the year, one guy has 180 innings and one guy has 120 innings. Like you still have to eat these old metrics like ERA and innings and win losses. Like, it's not that they're, they're stupid. It's just that sometimes they're not great at projecting, you know, over the course of, you know, maybe five years. What they do tell you, though, over the course of a season, I'm telling you right now, 162 games, if a guy hits 310, he's a good hitter. You don't get lucky for 162 games. So it's just you got to be really careful. Like we all want to use these numbers and say that, you know, this kid who had five innings last year but struck out 14 guys. Well, does that mean he's projected to strike up 400 and whatever guys next year? Like it's, it's not quite as, you know, X, Y straight line as people think. And, and to come back to the personality, I think that does play a part in it. So I, it's always fun for me to talk about it because I don't have to lie. I know that all those advanced numbers think that I will fail and I will continue to prove them wrong. Because for me, it's just about like, I will find a way to win. Like I'm going to win. I want to win. I don't like losing very much. So I'll add a pitch. I'll take away a pitch. I'll just yeah. be meaner than the guy I'm facing. I don't know. Like I, I'll do something, but I don't want to lose for an extended period of time. So I would hope that over the course of time, my advanced metrics would get better because I'm yeah. improving. But regardless, I still believe I could find a way to win. So I don't know. You know, I, I, I really am on board with these numbers. I think they do tell a story and they're important in terms of, you know, projecting the growth of young players. But I think the really good teams haven't lost sight of some of the other um, ways we can measure players and and. And in, in, in finding value where other teams just, you know, aren't willing to, 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 to test it out. And in a lot of ways, I think that's kind of how my career went, right? I went to the bullpen and then I come over here and I'm given a chance. And, you know, maybe there were some, some features that guys didn't like, but, you know, over the course of two years, all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, maybe we should keep this guy around. So I don't know. I, uh, I'm kind of, I'm a little biased because I'm in it. But in terms of like after a game, no, I don't care what my ex fit or my fifth is. If I went six innings with zero runs, I don't give a shit. They could hit every single ball 145 miles an hour. As long as it went towards somebody and I won, we win, game over. You can talk all day and night about how bad I am. But if I finish the year with 20 wins, it's like, all right, like, congrats. Arm. Thank you. 
this is why I am a ride or die Cal Quantrill guy till the end. That was that was poetry, Cal. Yeah, that was that was baseball poetry. Yeah, our master text question. That was no, no. So we'll I'll wear this one because it's a perfect segue here. Um, I was. So when, when Peter was going really deep down the, uh, the Cal Quantrill, like I'm hearing about your name every single week, you have to imagine that, you know, Peter is one of my closest friends. I was good. I was so annoyed. I was just like, <laughs> Peter, if you bring up Cal Quantrill on this podcast one more time, I'm going to lose my mind. Every fifth it day. got to the point too, where I was like, looking at the expected stats, I'm not watching the starts. I'll be honest. I wasn't watching early on. And I'm like, Peter, this is, this is not going to last like whatever. And he's like, it's going to keep lasting. It's going to keep lasting. It's going to keep lasting. And I just wanted it to end. I'll be honest. Not because of you. I, I'm just going to be honest here. I just didn't want to hear Peter talk anymore. Now that I know be, you. It could be Cal Quattro. It could be any other pitcher, but it was me telling Aram, this is the greatest pitcher alive. Correct. Aram looks at, at, Aram looks at the XERA and says, no shot. No shot. I believed. So we go back it. and forth. I couldn't, I couldn't take it anymore. And I said, okay. If he has a sub three, five ERA, I'll get a tattoo. And um, what did your ERA finish at? Sub three, five. <laughs> it did. So we'll wrap up the podcast. I'll let you decide on it's going to be small because my mom will cry if she sees it. Uh, but it, it, we will we, we will work something out there. It's going to be very small. Um, so congratulations on a great oh, I year. Love that. And, and thanks for that. And I, I'm an asshole and I'll wear it. But. You know, what I really do like on on the balancing of the analytics and and the player side and something that I continue to try to get better at because I pride myself on a lot of the prospect analysis I do and, and research and all of those things is I want to learn on the guys that slip through the cracks, the, the the areas where I missed. And this is a perfect example of that because I think a lot of the the metrics that we look at, they weigh certain things differently. And if you're able to lean into your strengths, sometimes it doesn't, you know, pick up on those strengths. And something that stuck out to me was you might not get the whiff rates. And you talked about that in a fan graphs piece that I thought was really insightful uh, that Peter actually sent to me, of course. Um, and the one thing that stands out to me is, is the chase rates are really high though. So despite not getting a lot of whiff, you do get a lot of chase and it's above average there. And I think part of that's because you have four pitches that seem to move in opposite directions. Uh, how much are you trying to get guys to chase and, and what's kind of your mentality on the mound? Because I know there's examples of Tyler glass now who sometimes would just aim down the middle knowing that naturally it would you know move to the corners for you. You, know, you were able to have those pitches moving in four different directions. You're able to get a lot of weak contact. Average exit velo was lower than most and uh, a high chase rate, despite not a lot of whiff. Usually those two things go hand in hand. Can you speak to how you're able to get guys to, to expand the zone against you a little bit, despite not racking up whiffs with, you know, the top of guys in the league? Yeah. You know what? I think like pitching for me is like, you're, you're playing this game of chess, right? Like Tyler Glasnow is filthy. Like, Utterly filthy. Disgusting. If I had what he was offering, I would throw everything down the middle and just know that it's all going to move away and they can't hit it. But you have to like know what your your talents are and what your strengths are. So for me, like if I'm facing a tough matchup, like I don't, I never wanted to sound like I'm not using the analytics. Like I'm well aware of like what I'm doing well, what I'm doing poorly. Who 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 sees me well? Who doesn't? But like an example of a, like an at bat or like a how I would think would be. So let's say we're playing the White Sox and I got a, a guy on third with two outs and Yohan Mankata. Okay. Like regard, it, regardless of who hits after him, if it's a right-handed hitter, right? If, if I know that a right is coming up, whether it be, even if it's a break, like one of the best players of our generation, like it's about playing the game. Sometimes it's about knowing that, you know, I'm going to throw basically nothing that Moncada could do anything with other than get out. 
And if he walks, he walks. Like, I don't care. Have first base. I will take my chances, even if it's against Jose, knowing that that, that my stuff is going to play better against, against him. And it's like playing these games, whereas sometimes analytics would tell you, well, you know, Cal, your cutter up into lefties, you know, they, they expected slug on it is, you know, 190. You should just throw that over and over and over again. Okay, well, fine. But if I miss my spot by four inches, the expected slug is a thousand. Like he's going <laughs> to yeah. smash this ball. So it's like you're just it's knowing, knowing the numbers, but knowing that you're not a computer. If I could just throw the ball exactly where I want it every single time with my, with my highest metric rate of that pitch, then yeah, sure. It'd be like playing MLB the show, but it's yeah. not MLB the show. It's the real world. And I know that a guy like Moncada clearly sees me well, and I can only throw that pitch so many times in a row. And there's like the room for error is small. Okay, screw it. Let's just, we'll pitch. We're going to pitch around him a little bit, you know, not, not horribly, not, not going to intentionally walk him, but you know, make him swing at my, my pitch. If he goes to first, I'll take my chances that they hit a th- they don't hit a three run home run. Now, I think some guys have gotten away from that, and and it's no fault. Like if I had Tristan McKenzie's fastball, or if I had Glasnow's fastball, or I had Bieber's curveball, maybe I would just throw it like a hundred times in a row and be like, you know what? Like <laughs> I don't think that they can hit it, but I know what I have, and I know that like there's there's games I can play. Um, if you know we're playing against a good team, and I just know that they're if I know if I break the three old hitters bat early in the game and. And he's just like so anti me throwing out his hands anymore. I might walk the two hole hitter just so I can face the three hole hitter. Like I'm playing the game because I know in the end, my only job as a starting pitcher is to give, give my team a chance to win. It doesn't like whether I go five or eight, like we, you want to go longer, but like the goal is if I get 18 outs, if I get 21 outs and we have the lead with the pen that we have, like I did my job. And my goal is to do my job every time. Never, I never lose sight of what my job is. I don't necessarily always try and throw a no-hitter. I'm not out there trying to punch every ticket. I'm trying to punch tickets when I need to punch tickets. Second and third, one out with a guy that I can punch a ticket on. Yeah, I'll bring out the nasty. Let's see if we can get it. But if I can get a ground ball on the first two pitches on somebody, like, all right, like, hit a ground ball. I got the, one of the best infields in baseball. Like, I'll take my chances, and I get to go deeper in the game because of it. So for me, it's like, you're just, you're playing chess. You're trying to decide when you have to, you know, press the button and throw the, the nastiest thing you have and when you can try and cruise and, and have an inning, an eight pitch in it. And, you know, when can you afford to let up guy in third one out? When can you afford to let up a run? And when, when do you have to say no? Like, like that guy stops there. And, and you play this game and over the course of the season, you hope that, you know, that you're better at chess than, than the hitters are. So speaking about how you are not a robot pitchers, this is not a numbers game and you, you play it on the field. Something I've noticed um, watching you every fifth day is that your demeanor on the mound seems very quiet in that way, except when you get a big out and then you fist pump. But what I mean by quiet is you seem very relaxed. Like the moment never really gets to you. You understand your job. You're there to compete and you're there to just put the pitches where you want and you'll see what happens. But there are a couple of starts throughout your career because you aren't a robot that you had to feel those nerves, right? Maybe your first start as a freshman for Stanford the year after Mark Capel goes number one overall and you're the first freshman to start since Mike Messina. What was 
was it in 1988 or something like that? Or was it the first start at the Rogers Center, right? When you're going back to Canada or was it game one of the ALDS against the Yankees? Like throughout your career, there had to be those moments where you thought to yourself, whoa, this is a enormous moment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are. Listen, like anybody who tells you that they can just like go out and are unaffected by the hitter, the fans, the, the moment, like that. I think that's, I think they're probably lying. like there is, there is some kind of, it's almost like waves during the season. And then there'll be moments that, that stick out. And you kind of, you hit some of them on the head for me, like pitching against the Padres this year, which is crazy because I have nothing but but love for, you know, they gave me my chance. Like they signed me, they brought me up to the big leagues. I have like zero ill will. I thought that like, I basically it's just appreciation, but for whatever reason, like it felt special that day. I I wanted to be more special than usual that day (laughs) or the Rogers center game or ALDS. Like those are big moments. And you do want to like step up and rise to those occasions. But the one thing I always try to remind myself before those occasions is it's like, well, what am I going to do? Walk out there and suddenly throw 98 to 125 <laughs> yeah. inches of pride? Like, I can't drastically change the fiber of my, who I am, my, like my pitching. I can be, I can try and be even more locked in and make even better decisions. Like, those are the things that I can do. I can stay, like, invested in every moment and I can, and I can, and I can just be very prepared and, and make very good decisions. But I can't, think that all of a sudden my curveball is going to be a swing and miss curveball. So it's like just it, knowing what you can be good at and what you can be bad at. And I don't want to for a second say that I've always been good at that. I was failing a lot in big moments in the minor leagues. I think it really held me back. It'd be like, go to the futures game, get whacked, go to the, you know, whatever, like a scout game, us against the Rangers and in, in high A and like get whacked, like not, you know, trying to be too much in these moments all-star games. Anytime that I've had to pitch one inning, I hate it. It's like the thing that I'm not good at, like (laughs) going out there and just trying to throw like 104 with, with craziness. That's not me. So I've been getting better and better about just saying like, okay, like, you know, a start is just a collection of one inning outings. And if I can stay within myself for each inning and then, you know, let it ride on the bench, whatever, be disengaged, take a look at the foul ball, watch the screens, do whatever you want to do. And then when you step back on the mound, like trying to re-engage and say like, okay, I have three outs to get. How am I going to get them? Like I will beg, borrow, steal. I will do whatever it takes. I'll, you know, <laughs> I'll hit a guy. I'll walk 10 guys. I don't care as long as they don't score and I get my outs. And then you walk off the field, you have a beer with the boys and you celebrate a victory. Sounds so, great. And it's something that you, you guys did plenty of this year. Yeah, go ahead, I, Peter. I, I, I got to tell him one story because I think that start in San Diego, um, it was against Blake Snell, if I'm not mistaken, right? Is that the start you're talking yeah. about? Yeah. Okay, so I have a story for that one. So, you know how I've been telling you on the money line or first fives, and it's it's sometimes like, for example, I'd tell you on the first five innings, and it would be a push. Let's say you gave up one run in five innings, but the your offense only scored one run, so I might lose that one. And there was another bet, too, and it was this bet in the Padres versus Guardians game that made me think, all right, there will never be anything else except Cleveland Guardians money line when Cal Quantrill's pitching. That's it. Because I was on a total in that game, and the total was seven and a half. And you were going up against Blake Snell and Blake Snell is an incredibly good pitcher. Won a Cy Young with the Tampa Bay Rays. And at the time, your team, the Guardians, were struggling a little bit against lefties. It was an away game. 
And but I knew you were going back to San Diego. I knew you would pitch well. I had no reservations about that. I was just thinking, I think Snell is going to pitch really well, too. He's pitching in San Diego where he's done better. And your offense has been struggling against lefties. So I took the under. And in that game, the under was at seven and a half. In that game, your team crushed Blake Snell. And I was thinking to myself, I'm sitting there. Well, the under is screwed because the Guardians are going to get it by themselves. And the Guardians put up seven runs and you allowed zero. And I was like, this is the king. So not only like you could have thrown a nine inning one run performance dominated the entire time and I would have lost. But you had my back. More importantly, you had your team's back. But in my head, you had my back more than that. To your point, though, like, never forget, like, and I, I, I went around and I thanked every single one of my position players after the, after the season. Those boys showed up for me. Like, they really did. They hit well this year when I pitched. They played some of the best defense in baseball, if not the best. How many gold gloves did we win? Three or four. I think Shane got one, too, so yep. might have been four. Like, we it, we had very we had good balance on our team and like that's what i meant by like if i just give my team a chance like i don't necessarily have to be perfect but if i keep them in it like we were just like it felt like you know i'd come out down two one in the sixth and these guys would be like no nah, not today Cal. you're not losing this one and it'd be like whack 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 whack, whack. and you know four two incredible oh sweet like so that worked out really good but that's i think one of the coolest parts about baseball is like pitching is can feel so individual but like in, in you know in the greater scheme, like it, you're still part of a team sport, and and those guys like they 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 played their asses off this year. It was fun to be a part of that. You guys had a great team. Yeah, it was special. I you know I don't think I've ever been on a team that had that kind of like grind to it, where it was like I don't even it wasn't even like uh, outwardly motivated. Like I never heard anyone talk about you know what we were supposed to do, or it was not about proving anyone wrong. It was almost like every guy wanted to prove themselves right, like. Mm-hmm. No, like I'm better than they, I'm better than they think. And then like the combination of all those guys, like going out and playing like that was, was pretty cool. And again, like when Jose Ramirez is running down the bases as hard as he does, it's taking an extra base on a single, turning it into a double, making $150 million less than he should. I think that guy is literally a perennial MVP. Me too. Like it's hard not to want to also do that. You know, Shane's coming off uh, injury, pitching 200 innings. Tristan decides he's a Cy Young candidate. It's like, oh, my God, like, you kind of have to step up. Like, these other guys are stepping up. Like, I kind of have to step up, up too. So building off of that too, you know, you talk about some of the leaps that these guys have made and, and I obviously argue that you made a huge leap this season. And a lot of that, you know, isn't really tangible. It was the things that you learned and the nuances of pitching. Now that you go into next season, you know, what, what are some of the focuses that you want to build off of this fantastic year individually? And then of course the, the team as well, uh, but individually speaking here, you know, what's something that you want to focus on to build off of such a strong campaign? You know what, this is the cool part. This is what connects like trying to be a pitcher and like playing chess with the analytics. Like at the end of the year, it is important to take a look at the numbers and say like, okay, what am I like excelling at? What am I not doing well? One thing that that hurt me this year was like not being able to make a guy miss when you needed a miss. Like there are moments in games where a swing and a miss is the best thing you could get. It's even better than a weak ground ball. So like, what can I do to try and increase those things? So in essence, what can I do to lower my X FIP and my X ERA and my X slug and all these numbers? Like they are relevant. Like 
they do matter. I, that's why I'm like very careful about never becoming the guy that's like, Oh no, just battle, battle, battle. Like you want to be good at those things. If you're good at those things, you should be expected to succeed for a longer time. So like I got to the end of the season and I felt like there were times where if my breaking ball, whether it be a slider, the cutter or a curveball, was just a little better, or if I knew when to use it in, in better times, I think there's room for improvement there. Like there's ways where if I could just get a sw- an extra swing and miss here and there, a punch out at a critical time, you know, a way more ways to attack right-handed hitters like that would make a really big difference for me and it would still achieve my end goal which is pitching as many innings as possible over the course of the season so one thing i've looked at like this offseason and we, i talked about it with carl willis who is literally one of the best pitching coaches in the history of baseball was like wh- what's the lowest hanging fruit for me you know i'm 27 years old i'm pretty pretty far into my career to just you know be making up pitches so like of what i have where do you see the most game that could happen and we talked about the curveball and how we thought that it did get better towards the end of the year but it was like almost my like misunderstanding like i just really didn't feel like i knew knew when to throw it i was just like uh like kind of random like no history no past usage kind of just guessing so it's something carl and i've talked a lot about like what's the you know what's that what's my top end curveball look like how can i throw it that top end one more often. And then like, what's the exposure level on it? Like how many times can I throw it before, you know, well, it's not that good. Like, you know, you know <laughs> there's, there's a limit to every pitch. So that's something that, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to get better at this year. I don't think that striking out two guys per nine is, is a long-term approach to, to, to success. So finding ways to get more guys out would be good. So I have a, I have a kind of a two-parter question. Um, so on baseball savant, your most thrown pitch is a sinker, but to me, and I think you've said this before in that Fangraphs article that it's mostly a two seamer and that you also have that four seamer, but you flatten out the slider in order to make it a cutter. And then you mix in that curveball. Um, but I noticed that you made a lot of those changes moving into this year, even though you put up a two, eight, three ERA, like there, there didn't really seem anything wrong, but you still made those changes. And the two part of that question is, we spoke with Ryan LaVarnway, who um, I don't know if you're familiar. He's, uh, he's yeah. a former big league catcher. Yeah, he's been he the minor me. leagues. Yeah, he, he's the man. And he was speaking to how impactful Austin Hedges is behind the plate. Because, um, you know, people might point to his offensive numbers and say, why is he catching? And then all we hear is how impactful he is behind the plate, not only framing the ball, because we know he's an excellent receiver of the ball, but what he can do for a pitching staff, kind of similar to Martin Maldonado. Well, Christian mm-hmm. Vasquez for the Astros might have better overall hitting stats. They stick with Martin Maldonado. Like there is a reason that they stick with these catchers. So I'm curious if Hedges had any impact on those pitches. And I'm just curious why you decided to change up your pitch repertoire a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Hedges is a wizard. I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. Look at the best defensive catchers over the last five years. He is, he is elite in every category. Um, special special catcher i want him to <laughs> i'd love for catch him forever <laughs> one of my best friends in baseball special special player special human being the energy effort you know just work ethic on the field for, for hit at his position is, is pretty special and it is a common presence knowing that your catcher is putting in that kind of work um i think he calls a great game one of those things that I was talking about, like not knowing when to throw a curveball, like that's where Hedgie has such a 
such a huge profound effect on pitchers is like, so, you know, like I'm making all these changes, like, but I'm not sure how I want to use them. Well, hedges is caught, you know, hundred, 150, 200 professional pitchers that it's bound to be run into someone who offers something like mine or, or one of my pitches. And he, and, you know, he's kind of going in the memory bank saying, well, you know, I caught this kid in double A who had your cutter and this is how we used it. And it worked really well. Let's try that. And then you're making these like small changes over the course of time. Um, why I, why I continue to make adjustments. Well, I think that's like twofold. Number one, nothing. I don't think there's anything necessarily I throw that's so nasty that I can just throw it over and over again and expect these freak athlete, big league hitters not to eventually start smashing it. Uh, and number two is like trying to be really like aggressively honest with yourself, like to, to what we just said, like, okay, yeah, the two, eight, three was great. It was, it was a really good season. It made a lot of improvements. But like, what are the underlying, what did we see? Like, was there times I got lucky? Yes, there were times I got lucky. Why did I get lucky? Can I do it over and over again? You know, what, what would help make it where that people wouldn't say that was lucky. And I think that Carl and, and, and Joe Torres and Brian Sweeney, our, our pitching kind of factory we've got here. Owen Dew is a guy that I've worked with. He, he's in Arizona with me. He's with the, the guardians as well. He was double a pitching coach this year and like identifying these things and saying, you know what? Like, Hey, like that sinker is good, but this is what would make it better. And, you know, in that slider, you had success with it, but, but like, we don't see it being something that you could just do over and over and over again. So, you know, you don't ever want to get stagnant. You just don't want to, you don't want to just rest on your laurels or you know, this is what I did good. And that's going to continue to be good. Now there are pitchers who, again, like we come back and we say the same names where, Sometimes I'm just sitting there salivating. I'm like, oh my God, if I had that, just I would just do that. I would just do it over and over again. <laughs> but know, know who you are. Know that if you're not getting better, someone's going to take your job. And, and being comfortable, kind of being uncomfortable, like making the changes, saying, like knowing that 150 innings of 2 8 is not, not as good as 190 innings of 3 3. And 190 innings of 3 3 isn't as good as 210 of whatever. Like really being okay with that. So, for me, like the, that's why I'll continue to change and try and get better. Um, you know, within reason, within reason. Oh, never losing sight of, ne- not changing the the goalposts. Not you know di- making the goalposts different every time you succeed, but just saying like I'd like to make these goalposts wider. Like I'd like it make it easier to kick the field goal than I would <laughs> than it is right now. So yeah, I mean it's fun, man. That's like the art of it. That's just you know, the hitters are trying to get better. We have to too. Speaking to, you know, you mentioned all the guys that have done really amazing things on the pitching staff side specifically. I mean, McKenzie making that leap is, uh, like you said, looking like a Cy Young candidate down the stretch there. And, you know, Shane Bieber kind of finding himself in a different way again, too, because you talk about the injuries, velo, spin rates, you know, the, the induced vertical break on his fastball. All those things weren't quite there, and he still found a way to continue to get out to, at the highest level. You have all of these talented pitchers around you, even in the bullpen as well. You talk about the pitching coaches at your disposal and a catcher now that you know is, is one of the best in the game to work with. On the pitching side, how collaborative is the environment there? You know, how much are you guys, you know, bouncing stuff off of each other? You're all obviously very different types of pitchers, but like you said, you could take one thing from one guy. Can you speak to, you know, maybe that environment in the in the pitching staff side of things of the clubhouse of you know, maybe how you guys work together? Yeah, you know, one of those things we talked about, like the shared experiences, being a similar age, having like an ultimate goal, which is winning a ring, makes it really simple. Like 
I'm not trying to protect secrets. I'm not trying to, you know, hide my success from, from my peers and my teammates. Like I want, if the way I look at it is if, if I pitch my best, but I'm the fifth starter in our rotation, then like, all right, great. I'll probably, I'm probably going to win a ring. Like this is <laughs> wonderful. What? Like, you know, if, if all those guys want to go face the four best on their team, I'll gladly face the fifth best. Like <laughs> it's, it's not about beating your, your teammates. It's about beating the other team. So for me, it's like, yeah, like there are things that Shane and Tristan and Zavali, Plesak, Cody Morris, Pilkington, our entire bullpen do that I can't do. But we're still trying to get the same hitters out. We're still watching the game. We're still saying like, hey, man, like, like it, you're, it just looks different today. Like, are you, are you feeling the load the right way? Are you, you know, is, is the throwing program changed? Um, you know, like trying to, to chime in without ever, you know, overstepping, you know, across a line or, or, or a boundary, knowing that our pitching coaches are locked in, man. Like, I don't need, I'm not a coach. I'm just a peer that sees you every single day. And, you know, it's like being in a workplace environment. Like, man, you seem down the last three days. What's up? Except for in this case, it's like, man, like, it's just not spinning the same way. Like, are you good? Like, you still feeling the same way you were feeling earlier in the year? Like, blah, blah, blah. You know, stuff like that. You know, you kind of just, you're checking in. They're checking in. You're making sure that you're kind of like, you're still feeling like you're, you're, you're trending upwards. And, you know, over the course of time, you have, again, you have to believe that these small things add up to something. Like, it's impossible, I think, or maybe, maybe it's possible, but we don't have a number for it yet. But, you know, all those things over the course of time, you have to believe is some type of war. I don't know. Is it one? Maybe not. 0.5. Who cares, really? As long as it's positive, it's, it's a good thing. So, yeah, it's been good. And, you know, kind of being like just open enough, like open enough to input, but never losing sight of the pillars that make you who you are. So, like early in my career, I couldn't do that. It's like I would just try and become a different pitcher every time I got advice. Now it's like, okay, well, I kind of know what I am but I will never let that stop me from at least trying to get better because I don't see that. I don't see how I, like if my goal is to play 10 years in the big leagues or, you know, 15 years in the big leagues or, or win 10 world series rings, then I have to get better. So like, here's my foundation, but I have all these like branches that I'm willing to try and get better at. And I'm surrounded by guys who are doing all those things better than me. So why wouldn't I listen? Dude, I'm so excited for your future. I mean, just the way you talk about baseball, so smart, so calculated, but so easygoing at the same time, like not putting too much pressure on yourself, just throwing the right pitches and seeing what happens. And our, before, so we have some rapid fire questions to just kind of to end the podcast, but are you aware of your record at progressive field? Like, are you aware of the stretch that you've been on with the fact that you've thrown? I wasn't until the end of the year, but I am glad that, we finished and I, we, we, I'm glad that we're, uh, it goes into next year. I like, I was like so tired of thinking about it. I was like, nah, <laughs> I was like, let's just get through 22. And if, if we want to talk about it again in 23, we can. Dude, it's unbelievable. Just to quantify that 34 straight starts at progressive field. Since you joined the guardians, Cal Quantrill is 14 and zero with a two eight eight ERA. So we do have these rapid fire questions that we asked Sandlin. We've asked Nestor Cortez, Justin Steele, just to kind of get your insight into inside the game. And you don't have to go full fledged story into any of these more, just like quick rapid fire. So I'm just curious, number one, who has been your toughest at bat in major league baseball so far? Oh, oh there's a lot of good, ones. a lot of good ones. 
Sandlin, Sandlin said Paul Goldschmidt was a really good, was a really tough one for him. I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to say my, my trap. I mean, <laughs> it's, yeah. like such, it's too obvious. I didn't even want to say it, but like, my God, man, like that guy is special. No. And there's a lot of guys you could have said like judge, um, you maybe even Jose Ramirez, if you're facing him in practice, but like Rizzo, Mike Trout's Mike Trout. Rizzo, huh? Rizzo is a God, man. I don't like, <laughs> we have, he chokes up and battles and it's, it's gotta be tough, man. <laughs> that guy's kind of putting a beating on me, man. I gotta find a way to get him out. Um, so the next question, fortunately, you don't have to worry about this in the American league and also just any more period, but who was the best pitcher that you've had the opportunity to just see from another team? Uh, just whether you're in the dugout or, or just watching period. And you can't count any Cleveland guardian. No guardians. We'll, okay. we'll put them uh, out, yeah. To make the question a little bit easier. Uh, uh, Kershaw in nineteen twenty, um, when I saw him with the Padres, it was just felt like, I don't know. He just, it was just, okay. It was just Kershaw. Dude, Kershaw doing Kershaw shit. Um, and so this one, this one is definitely putting you on the spot here. Who are your top five starting pitchers of all time? Randy Johnson, uh, Roger Clemens, um, Kershaw, uh, Pedro Martinez. I, 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 I'll, I'm gonna. I have to include Nolan Ryan, but I want all of their like their like their five year stretch. I want their like the Randy Johnson, whatever it was, like the five year stretch where he's punching three hundred a, a year. Like I want those stretches. I love that. That's one. fair. That's mm-hmm. fair. I, I like that. I mean, Pedro, there are some modern day guys that I really want to include, but it's like it feels like it's doing a disservice that there's still more years to see what they're capable of. Agree, like, like a guy's like is, Degrom. Is to flirt with this list, Cole is doing special things. Degrom, if, if Degrom's healthy for a whole year, we might see something we've never seen before. Scherzer, like there are some, there are some guys. I feel like I did a disservice to today's game. It's just they're not done doing their shit yet. Yeah. They got, they got more to show. Uh, absolutely. Well, speaking of guys who have more to show, who's a player on the Guardians that we should watch out for next season? Um. I'm going to go away from pitching because those are my guys. I don't want to, I don't want to single anyone out. I'm going to say Oscar Gonzalez. I think that like, yes, I know that he's very popular name now. Great year, but I think there's more there. It's like a special bat to ball. He's just like, I, I, I like him a lot. I, that's, I'll just leave it at that. I, like I don't that. want to overdo it. I just think he's going to have a really good year. I love that. And um, last one from me. Um, I saw a story um, that, uh, about Randy Johnson. And I like that you mentioned him. Number one, did Randy Johnson ever find you at a field alone as a kid? It's very yes. specific. <laughs> yes. You know, my parent, my dad and my mom left spring training complex where he's with the Yankees and I was just alone. And his locker mate was the Randy Johnson, seven foot, you know, intimidating man. And I had to go ask him for a ride home. <laughs> But realistically, he just called my dad or my dad got home. My mom was freaking out. <laughs> he jumped back and got me. But, but yes, Randy Johnson, legend, legendary pitcher, legendary locker mate, legendary ride caller. And for those curious, his dad, Paul Quantrill, was a, what, 13-year big leaguer um, pitcher himself, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Reliever. It's pretty awesome. So I, I have one last question for you, and it's a little bit off script. Why do you have a LinkedIn page? Um you absolutely shove. You just had a great year and you, you've got a LinkedIn page and, and the, the occupation says pitcher in the San Diego Padres organization. <laughs> I didn't um, even know I had a LinkedIn page. Um, 
I probably made it in college. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to update it. Heck, man, maybe I'm going to need a job. Yeah. I don't know. You know, got to keep well, those actually, open. <laughs> it, it says experience San Diego Padres pitcher. So you probably got to update that. You're going to okay. be the first pitcher to have their whole transactional history on their LinkedIn page. I'm going to do it. I'm going to put in uh, injuries, everything. I'm going to list it all as like as, as prerequisites for the uh, job that someone may or may not hire me in the future. I love it. I love it. And then the last question actually we have to ask is, is what tattoo am I getting? It's going to be small. Or if you want to give me another out, I mean, if there's something else that you want to torture me with that, that'd be great. Why don't um, you just get a little expected ERA, little XERA yeah. tat. Yes. You know? <laughs> is that what you, is that, I'm letting you pick it here. I don't, I don't want this stress and pressure. I don't want to get a call from your mom. Like, <laughs> No, I'll, I'll get the calls. I'll say, I'll say. No, I Peter's going to get it. X, yeah. XCRA is, is fantastic. I was just either, either thinking, because I posted your face all over Twitter every fifth day to let people know that it was Cal Day. I was thinking about just getting your face on his forehead. That's a little bit too much. But I think, I think right, because um, Arm, you had hip surgery. Yeah, I was like, I just had arthroscopic hip, hip surgery. So I have the three like scars and I'm just going to put it in the middle because that part Perfect. of my body's gone to shit, you yeah. know? So that's where I'll put my well, one tattoo. you're not showing that off either. You're never going to be a hip model. So what is it? No, I, well, you know, I, we'll never see. Never. I, I, yeah, I sorry, just fired up my LinkedIn too. Yeah. My LinkedIn's up and, and I've kind of put myself as looking for modeling opportunities. So, uh, but yeah, I, I guess we'll go XERA. I was thinking you're a small thing of your number. I, I, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I could possibly tell someone to put my ugly mug on their body. So no, no, no face, no face. I can't, maybe, I can't have another face. I can't have a face maybe, on my body. Just a little, you know, something, something funny. Like, you know, what, 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 what made you think I couldn't do it? You know, XERA or maybe just a little number 47 or yeah. Whatever, like 47. Whatever Are you going to stick with 47 though? That's the thing. That's a good point. 47. Yeah. I'm sticking with it. it unless, sticking with 47? You know, unless some stud comes in and tells me I'm not allowed to wear it anymore. <laughs> I guess I'd hand it off and go to the next number. And th- that just made me rem- remember something. Sorry, before we, we end it too. Are you going to pitch in the World Baseball Classic? Can you not speak on that yet? Or or I, uh, I, I intend on pitching for Canada. Let's go. Uh, oh yeah. There are rules that will need to be followed. I got to make sure that I'm checking all the boxes. But sure. yeah, I would I would love to do it. I see it as a as a, a huge honor, and I would I, yeah. I, I'd be in there. Good luck. Well, Cal. Yeah. This was one of the great moments, maybe the greatest moment in just baseball history. Thank you for joining the just baseball show. This was an awesome conversation. It was amazing to get some insight into your career, how you pitch. And um, well, you already had a fan for life in me, but now it's definitely a fan for life. And I think you've convinced Aram. We're going to talk about, I think I've been in, in. I've been in in. 10 years, man. We got you. We lured you. Well, thanks again, man. And uh, we'll be sure to be watching your career and definitely for Team Canada in the World Baseball Classic. I'm sure the Toronto Blue Jays fans or Cleveland Guardians fans or just any fans of the World Baseball Classic will be happy to see you on the bump for Team Canada. For sure. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, man.